Um, everybody raise up the card that you were handed when you walked in this morning. All, all of you received three cards. You know, the great com- commandment and the great commission of Jesus Christ is to invest and invite in others. This next week, this Holy Week, is when most people who are unchurched, who do not have a church family to call their home, are thinking about things related to the eternal, to the spiritual, because of this wonderful season we call Easter. And so this is your opportunity to invite unchurched friends, neighbors, family, and co-workers to church. Won't you do that this next week? Take three of these cards and invite three people. It may mean eternity for them. So with that, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21 as we're going to look at this particular question, who is this man? It is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, presenting himself as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, people waved palm branches before him. And so it is Palm Sunday. So if you could stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to just read these first 11 verses and I'll say a few words about them. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. It tells us the truth about Jesus Christ, that he is this man, but he is not just a man. He is not just a prophet. He is the very Son of God, and he is our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we see here, there are three things that Jesus Christ is. First of all, he is the foundation of God's plan. He is the foundation of God's plan. Many people today think about Jesus and they think of him as a great teacher or a great moral leader or a great historical figure who had a tremendous following that continues even till today. But I share with you this morning that Jesus is the, in fact, the centerpiece of all of history. If you think about his coming into this world, we mark our calendars by before Christ and Anno Domini, which is the year of our Lord and his coming. And so the entire calendar on which we 
spend time and think about time is in the context of Jesus' coming to this world. You know, he was born in about 4 to 5 B.C. He uh, entered into his public ministry in about 26 A.D. in the fall. He was 30 years old. And when he was 30 years old, he began his public ministry. And for three and a half years, he walked the, the, the roads of Jerusalem and Samaria and Galilee. And Jesus Christ did so many things. And in every time he would do something miraculous, people would ask the question, who is this man? He would heal diseases, and they would ask that question. He would cast out demons, and they would ask that question. He would calm the wind and the waves, and his disciples said, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He would speak with great authority, and people would say, Who is this man who speaks with such authority? And then, of course, he would forgive sins. And, of course, even the religious leaders would say, Who is this man that he even forgives sins? So we ask each other today, who is this man, Jesus Christ, just as the crowds here who watched him ride into Jerusalem on a donkey asked the question, who is this man? Well, the answer that they give here in verse 11 is, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But the truth is, he is more than just a prophet. He is greater than the great prophet Moses. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse Verses um, 3 through 6, it says, Just as the builder of a house is greater in honor than the house itself, Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, but Christ is, in fact, the faithful son over God's house. The last prophet was John the Baptist, and he is greater than John the Baptist, who professed this, He who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He comes after me. He who comes after me has surpassed me, is greater than me, because he was before me. It's amazing, because Jesus was born six months after John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist says, he who is after me is greater than me because he was before me. Do you realize that Jesus has always been? He is the same debt today, yesterday, and forever. He has always been with God. When, when God the Father created the entire world, and he said to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, let us make man in our image, Jesus didn't argue, even though he knew he would go to the cross to pay for our sin. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They had all kinds of answers, but then he looked at them and he said, who do you say that I am? And he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus himself declared to be the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the gate for the sheep. He said that I am the good shepherd. He said that I am the resurrection and the life. He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And he said, I am the true vine. He also said, before Abraham was born, I am declaring himself to be one with God. 
You know, Jesus orchestrated this entire movement into Jerusalem. He knew that his time had come. Over and over again, people would be healed by Jesus, and he would tell them, don't say anything about what has happened to you. In other places, he would reveal himself as the Messiah, as the woman at the well in Samaria. But in Jerusalem, he never did that because his time had not yet come. But now, here he is in 30 A.D., in the spring And he has come, and he has come with great power, but he is on a donkey, as it says. He looks ahead, and he has orchestrated this entire thing. He tells two disciples. Now, we don't know which two disciples they are. Enough said about that. The key is is that he sent two of his disciples, and they found a colt and a donkey tied up to a post that they themselves would bring back to Christ. He also demonstrated that foreknowledge and authority because he said that if anybody asks you the question, then they will tell you, then you just tell them the Lord has need of this donkey. And he came and he brought the donkey and the colt to him. Jesus orchestrated everything. In fact, he even orchestrated his own death because it was part of God's plan. He condemned the money changers the very next day. He actually confronted the religious leaders. In Matthew 23, he pronounces seven woes on the religious elite of his day. And then he confounded both the high priest Caiaphas as well as Pilate. Jesus himself was setting himself up because he is the foundation of God's plan. But then secondly, he is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of physical, of uh, of biblical prophecy. Look at what it says there in chapter 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion. Now, daughter of Zion is just a a personification or a name, an image of Jerusalem itself. It says, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we see here that he is coming as the Messiah. But it's a profound kind of, um, it's almost interesting how he comes as a king, and yet it says, gentle and riding on a donkey. Well, the, the disciples, many of them, including Judas and even Peter and others, and all of his followers thought that he was a conquering hero, that he was some one who was going to lead a revolt against the oppressive rule of Rome over the Israelite people. But no, that's not how Jesus came. He came humble and riding on a colt. He came gentle. He came humble. You know, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This morning, do you need to find rest for your souls? Are the chains gone? And when they're gone, you will find rest for your souls. He is riding on a donkey, not a horse, not a steed. You know, when Solomon was coronated king, he rode into town on a donkey to usher in unprecedented peace for the nation of Israel. But this cult that Jesus rode had never been ridden on before. You know why? Because there was no one who was worthy to ride that cult for this specific purpose. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings and Lord 
of lords. And it says there in this passage that they laid cloaks before him. This harkens us back to the coronation of King Jehu. King Jehu, actually, when he was coronated king, they laid cloaks before him as he entered into service. And in Genesis 49, it says this, The scepter will not depart from Judah. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. What a beautiful picture of what Christ came to do for all of us. He is the one who is the true vine who came in on a donkey. He is the branch of Jesse, the root of God's family, the Messiah, the King of kings to be born after the line of David. It's, a, it's amazing how the physical fulfillment of this prophecy is so poignant. But the spiritual fulfillment is even more powerful. Let's look at it briefly. If you were to take a passage back in Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to encourage you to go home and read Exodus 12 today, because Jesus is the fulfillment not only as the Messiah, but he is the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist would say, who takes away the sin of the world. Think about it. Look at all of these fulfillments taken from Exodus chapter 12. Many of you may know the Passover story, the first Passover, when Israel was in bondage, in chains, in Egypt, and God delivered them through Moses, who was one to picture the ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ. It was on the day, the 10th day of Nisan, The 10th day, Jesus would have ridden into Jerusalem at about 6 p.m. on Sunday night because the Hebrew calendar begins at 6 p.m. The day, the biblical day, begins at 6 p.m. and goes to 6 p.m. the next day. And so just after 6 p.m., Jesus would make his way into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan. It says in the Exodus that a lamb was to be chosen. Jesus is that lamb, and he was chosen by God. It says the lamb is a year old without defect. Jesus was without sin. And it was set aside until the 14th day, which begins Thursday night. So Jesus Christ was able to celebrate the Passover with his disciples after 6 p.m. on Thursday night and then become the Passover lamb on Friday morning, Nisan the 14th. The lamb was to be killed at twilight, otherwise known as in the Hebrew between the evenings. And Jesus died at 3 p.m., between the evenings, at twilight. Get that. On that day, Nisan 14. In verse 46 of that same chapter in Exodus, it says that none of his bones were to be broken. If you read the gospel narrative, you'll find that Jesus Christ had already given up the ghost by the time that the the centurions went by to break the bones of the other two thieves on the cross. But his bones did not need to be broken. He had already given up his life. The blood was to be applied to doorposts. In the New Testament, we learn that the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to the doorposts of our hearts. Our faith is in him, and therefore that blood gives us freedom in Christ. We are to eat it in haste. Our deliverance is one that is quick and complete and final, and that God will pass over 
God will pass over the judgment upon all of those who have the door of uh, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ applied to them. And it is to be a lasting ordinance. That's why we celebrate. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper. Because he gave his body, and that is the bread. And he gave the blood, I mean, his, the, the wine, and that is his blood. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that God had laid out all the way back in Exodus chapter 12. And think about this. This is amazing, but... Oops. This is amazing, but um, I'll, I'll have these up on our website as well. But like I told you, the biblical day is from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. And it's interesting because between the evenings is actually at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And this is exactly when Jesus died on the cross, on Nisan 14. Now, if you sit here this morning and you say, I don't know about God's word. I'm not sure if I can trust it. I promise you the authority of this word. This was written, Exodus 12 was written in 1446 B.C. Jesus came and died on the cross in A.D. 30. If you go and Google Nisan 14 in the year of 30 A.D., you'll find that it is Good Friday. It is the Friday on which Jesus Christ himself laid down his life for the world. I don't know about you, but that fuels my faith. It makes me believe in the one who has saved me and will raise me at the last day. If you don't have Jesus in your life, then you are missing out on the greatest, glorious miracle that you will ever experience. The regenerated heart, the new life, the new faith. You'll have a new perspective. You'll have the promises of God. You will have all of the provision that he gives and you will have the peace that surpasses all understanding, no matter what trials you are going through. Jesus Christ is the means for which we can be saved, and he is the only means. And so therefore, we go to the final point here, and that is Jesus Christ is because he's the foundation of God's plan. Because he is, in fact, the fulfillment of all biblical prophecy, then he is the one focus for all of our praise. He's the focus for all of our praise. Notice what it says down there in verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna literally means save us. Save us now. Save us from the oppression of Roman rule. And then they would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a quote from Psalm 118. Go home and read Psalm 118. You'll find some amazing verses in that particular psalm. In fact, the central verse in the entire Bible, the central verse in the entire Bible is found in Psalm 118, verse 8, and it says this, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That is the central verse of the entire Bible. Can you believe it? Two times this psalm proclaims, He has become my salvation. And then it says this, This is the gate, the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. Remember I said, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. Psalm 118 tells us that. And then, of course, over and over and over again in the New Testament, it teaches us that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That stone is none other than Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. 
He is the stone that the builders have rejected, but he has become the cornerstone of the church in which we worship today. So who is this man? Who is he? He's the foundation of God's plan. From the beginning of time, whenever God created the world, he said, let us make man in our image, and Jesus, you will die for the sin of all mankind. He is the fulfillment of all biblical prophecy. The Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. The New Testament reveals Jesus. And if you read the entire word of God, it's like a puzzle. You you piece it together little by little, and all of a sudden it becomes real to you. It becomes real. Jesus is not playing games here, folks. He is the real deal. That's why we worship him even today, 2,000 years later. Because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But then we are to offer up our praise for him. Who is this man? We are to offer praise. You know, Jesus did not come riding on a horse. He came riding on a donkey. He did not come to lead a revolt. He did not come to conquer his enemies by spilling their blood. No. Jesus came in humility and peace with mercy and grace, forgiveness and love to shed his own blood for those who trust in him. Therefore, it says in Philippians chapter 2, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We worship him today because he is who he said he was, that he did what he knew He needed to do to surrender to your will, O Father. As he was in the garden, he said, If if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. O Father, this morning, there are people gathered in this room who are worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth because their chains are gone. They are alive forevermore. Eternity has begun for them. But Lord, there are others in this room listening to us on live stream who still haven't made that life-altering decision to surrender to the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. I pray, Lord, that they will come and surrender their life to you once and for all and know that as messed up as their life may be, you are the one who will order their steps and guide their paths. Father, as we look forward expectantly to Easter next Sunday, I pray that you will encourage all of us to go out and invest and invite in the lives of others, people we love, people we care for, and people that we see every day and we wonder, are they really in a right relationship with you? Oh, Father, this is our opportunity to go and invest and invite. And, Lord, it may have eternal consequences, not only for them, but for us as well. Father, as we sing this song, this hymn of commitment,
I pray that we will all respond as we sang this beautiful cantata, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. May we all respond in that way right now as we sing this hymn of commitment. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us and sing.